0: This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. So we're starting starting a new series this month, uh, focusing on the, the pastoral. We're working our way through the fivefold ministry. So this series is called True Love. Okay, and just note, disclaimer, it is not a relationship series. You're not going to get dating or, or married advice. Instead, we are focusing on the true love of God for us. Okay, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. Okay, So we're going to be speaking about, uh, about the love of God for us and the love of God through us. Uh, from the pulpit, we're going to be speaking the truth in love. Um, and we, we trust that uh, yeah, that you will, as a community, we will become more and more loving. The Bible says that we will know, we will be known. Um, by, by those outside for the way that, that we love. So we are trusting for, for that true love to, to be imparted uh, in us over the coming months. Um, as Jess said, Hank is with us next week, and then um, Andre and Sonica will, will both bring uh, a message in the, in the series towards the end of the month. Okay, but this morning I am I'm preaching on um, a subject called I Am, uh, so we're going to tackle who we are uh, this morning. Okay, but I want to just pray for us before we before we get going. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for for your presence this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are looking into our hearts this morning, Father. And I just want to I just want to continue that on that on that prayer, Lord, on on that petition to you, Lord. Come, come this morning and open up our hearts, Lord, like a like a master surgeon. Come and do a divine. A divine surgery on our hearts, Lord. Open up our chest, Lord. Expose our heart. Father God, I pray that you will expose every lie that we've believed, everything that we have taken upon ourselves, Lord. And instead, Lord, I pray that you will bring your truth here this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Open our ears. Open our eyes. Open our hearts to receive from you this morning, Lord. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, just to come and have your way. Let there be no hindrance, no block. Lord, Lord, just open us up. I pray for something deep, for a deep work to happen in each of us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So, way back in, in 1464, a work was commissioned on a highly prized slab of white marble similar to these that you see um, from that exact uh, quarry, uh, the Carrara Quarry in Tuscany, Italy. This particular slab that work was commissioned on, when stood up, was over five meters tall and weighed in excess of 5,000 kilograms. So Italian sculptor Agostino began work on the sculpture, but he only got as far as making a few markings for the feet and for the legs, but he never actually put any chisel to rock. He never chipped off a single piece. The slab then lay unattended for 10 years before two other guys came and tried their hand. Donatello and later Antonio Rossellino all tried to sculpt this piece of rock. But again, not much progress was made by either man. Finally, in the year 1500, after being neglected for 26 years, the young Michelangelo was offered the contract to chip away at this block that had been affectionately called the Giant. By this time, though, that piece of marble had been weathered, beaten by the elements, it was a shadow of its former glory 26 years ago when it was freshly cut from the quarry. But it said that that slab was just far too expensive. It was worth too much to just dispose of. Michelangelo was was apparently unimpressed with what he saw in front of him. But he took on the job, knowing that this was just too too, too valuable a piece of marble to neglect. So in 1504, at the age of 29, Michelangelo finished the Statue of David. One of the greatest works of art that exist in the world today. Although Michelangelo was initially unimpressed with what he saw in front of him, the material that he had to work with. I believe he looked at that weathered piece of of marble, and he saw, he saw the calves and the thighs of David. He saw the sculpted chest and torso and arms. He saw the features of the face and the details of the hair. He even saw what's behind that asterisk. He saw what many couldn't see before him. I believe he looked at that chunk of weathered marble with the eyes of a creator. How many of us here this morning feel like a weathered old piece of mineral rock, beaten by the elements, time after time, a shadow of our former glory? You feel like you've been neglected by those who were supposed to shape you, your parents, siblings, your friends, your teachers, your pastor, your partner, your spouse. You think that God himself is unimpressed with what he sees before him, the material that he has to work with. But here's the truth of what the Bible reveals. God values you. You have worth. You are far too expensive to just dispose of. And I'm not overlooking your sin here or your fallenness in the sight of God. But the fact of the matter is that God values you. He declares that you are worthy. And what you may not see in yourself And what others may not even see in you, God sees. God sees you. He doesn't see that chunk of weathered marble. He sees a masterpiece. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. I know we know this verse. We hear it spoken from church, from the pulpit here in church. We read it for ourselves. Many of us have probably got it highlighted in our Bible. But I also know that we battle to believe it. Because every day we wake up and we look in a mirror and we don't see anything special. We don't see a work of God, a work of art. We see our sin. We see our shortcomings. We see our failures. Most of us are not even neutral by what we see. We hate what we see in front of us. We hate the person that's looking back at us. We see our failures. We see our past, everything we've done. What we're trying to do is trying to find our identities in a mirror. We're trying to find our identity in a reflection. And we go in search of answers when we don't. When we don't see it, we go We go asking questions of who am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Where do I belong? What is my purpose? So we start to look around us. We start to look for validation from our parents, from our friends from our partners, our spouses. We look everywhere. Who am I? Can you tell me? We go to the internet, to social media. We try and measure ourselves by by the people around us. We put so much time and energy into trying to be someone else because we don't know who we are. We dress like other people, act like other people. We try to be a replica Of someone else. Kurt Cobain, former frontman of of the band Nirvana, he said this Pretending to be someone you're not is a waste of the person you are. The irony, of course, is Kurt Cobain stuck a shotgun in his mouth and killed himself, the ultimate waste of the person you are. But what a profound statement. Pretending to be someone you're not is a waste of the person you are. You know, I believe we find ourselves in, in what is probably the greatest identity crisis of all time. All around the world, society does not know who they are. All you need to do is look at the gender identity confusion crisis to see how, how broken our image of ourselves is. We're now on... LGBTQQIP2SA+. Lesbian, bisexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, queer, questioning, intersexual, pansexual, two-spirited, asexual, and we still drop a plus on the end to allow for expansion. The upcoming generation in particular have no idea who they are, what they're meant to be. And there are so many voices telling them who they should be, telling us who we should be. And yet God made us uniquely. There is no other person in the planet who has the DNA that you do. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You were created just as the, as the Creator intended. He has an identity. He has a purpose for you. He wants to do a great work in you so that he can do a great work through you. So where does this identity confusion actually start? It's in the beginning, of course. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, right away there, the triune God establishes identity in us. We are made to be like him in his likeness. But not only does he give us identity, he gives us purpose. He gives us significance. He says that let them have dominion over all the earth. But we know that it doesn't take long for the very first identity thief to come along. Satan shows up. God commanded Adam and Eve that they could eat from any fruit of any tree in the garden, except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does Satan do? He comes along and he says, God is hiding something from you. He's not telling you everything. There is knowledge available to you. He effectively tends us with knowledge and significance apart from God. It's what he did then, and it's what he continues to do now. So Adam and Eve sinned. Sin brought confusion. This identity confusion and this identity crisis that we find in society today. So that's why you and I and the rest of the world are asking these questions of who am I? What am I worth? What am I meant to be doing? What is my purpose? What is my destiny? The source of this is alienation from God. We've been alienated from God. The devil has lied to us and said that you can find your identity outside of God. So we keep searching. Satan's Satan's plan has always been to distort the image of God in us. It's his plan from the start and he continues to do it to this day. So separated from God, now we try and forge our own identity, but it's impossible. Just like the statue of David has no identity outside of its creator, Michelangelo, it's just a piece of block, just a piece of marble, shapeless, formless, until such time as the creator gives it identity. In the, that in the same way we are shapeless and formless, weathered, broken, beaten, until such time as God gives us identity. You cannot create your own identity. Only a creator can give you identity. But that doesn't stop us from trying. It doesn't stop us from trying to define ourselves. Each and every one of us has an internal picture of who we are, a self-image. Every day, we look into the mirror and we see that self-image. And it's affected by any number of things. Past experiences, things that have been spoken over us, things that we speak over ourselves, things that we agree with, all our sin, all our failures. That's what makes up our self-image. But that doesn't actually change who's standing here looking in the mirror. This is a question of self-image versus identity. Self-image is actually not a reflection of what you see. Self-image is a projection of who you are, of who you see yourself as. What you're looking at in the mirror is not the real you. That's not your true identity. You are projecting all your sin, all your failure, all those things that harmed you and hurt you, That's what you are projecting on yourself, but that is not your true identity. So who do you think you are? How do you see yourself? This self-image dominates so much of our lives. It dominates the way we see ourselves. It dominates the way we see others. It dominates the way we think others see us. It even goes as far as dominating the way that we see God. And the way we think he sees us. This is a huge, huge subject. A massive topic. Our self image is distorting and blocking what God wants to do in our lives. And it's creating a stronghold. Many of us are being oppressed because we're agreeing with the stronghold, we're agreeing with the lies, we're agreeing with what we see ourselves, what we see in the mirror. And it's blinding us from the true us, the true you that God intended you to be. If I was to give each of you a piece of paper, a pair of scissors, and a permanent marker, and I would just say, cut cut out the shape of a mask quickly, that would probably be interesting for some of you. Cut out some eyes and, and maybe a mouth that you can breathe. And then right on the outside of that mask... What you are projecting to the world. Depict who you are on the outside. Write on the outside piece of paper. Everything that you show to the world. Write down the words that you're you're confident and you're brave and you're bold. And then on the inside of that mask, write the words that you're speaking to yourself. Write the words that you're projecting. That you're a failure. That you're fearful. That you're not good enough. What would your mask look like? You can put the picture of the mask on, thanks, Tina. What would your mask look like? How do you see yourself? What are you allowing to shape your identity, your self-image? Is it what your parents are saying? Is it what your friends are saying? Is it what your spouse is saying? They might be saying some good things, but ultimately... Our identity can only be found in God. What is He saying about you? How does He feel about you? He is the only one who has the right to form our identity. We see a great example of the self-image versus identity in the life of well, oh, that was <laughs> in the life of Gideon, <laughs> we read in Judges six of how the angel of the Lord finds Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. He's scared. He's hiding away after attack and attack an attack of the Midianites. He's frightful. He's fearful. We pick up the story in Judges 6 verses 12. It says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, "Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man." Here's Gideon, hiding in fear in the wheat in the wheat press, wine press. Knees are knocking. He's chewed his fingernails down to the bone. And the angel, of the Lord, comes to him and says, "You mighty man of valor." He must have thought, "Who?" Who are you talking? You've just been looking around there. No one else in the wine press. You can't be talking to me. You must be having a laugh. You know, you know who you're talking about to? It's Scary cat Gideon. I'm a coward. I'm a nobody. Who, who, do you, who do you... I think you must have the wrong guy. But the Lord is not seeing Gideon the way he sees himself. He has total disregard Gideon's self-image. I love you. Could basically scratch out the whole of verse thirteen in that in that scripture. Angel comes and says, "You mighty man of valor," and he goes, "Whata what I don't know who where is God. I, I haven't seen God. I don't know who God is. I don't know who I am." And then he says, "Go, go in this might of yours." It doesn't make sense. He just doesn't even address it. He doesn't care about his own self-image. He says, "I know who you are." And you will go as a mighty man of valor in your might, and you will defeat a whole nation. God is seeing Gideon through his own eyes, through the eyes of God. And he sees, he sees him in, through his identity, who he is. He knows what his purpose is. Gideon falls prey to something that all of us do. We mistake our self-image for our identity, and we let it dictate to us. Let me illustrate this with a with story. While walking through the forest one day, a farmer found a young eagle who had fallen out of his nest. He took it home and put it in his barnyard, where it soon learned to eat and behave like the chickens. One day, a man passed by the farm and asked why it was that the king of all birds should be confined to live in the barnyard with chickens. The farmer replied that since he had given it chicken food and trained it to be a chicken, it had never learned to fly. Since it now behaved as the chickens, it was no longer an eagle. Still, it has the heart of an eagle, replied the man, and can surely be taught to fly. He lifted the eagle towards the sky and said, You belong to the sky and not to the earth. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle, however, was confused. He did not know who he was, and seeing the chickens eating their food, he jumped down to be with them again. The man took the bird to the roof of the house and urged him again, saying, You are an eagle. Stretch forth your wings and fly. But the eagle was afraid of his unknown self, and he jumped down once more for the chicken food. Finally, the man took the eagle out of the barnyard to a high mountain. There he held the king of the birds high above him and encouraged him, saying, You are an eagle. You belong to the sky. Stretch forth your wings and fly. The eagle looked around, back towards the barnyard and up to the sky. Then the man lifted him straight towards the sun, and slowly he stretched his wings and with a triumphant cry soared away into the heavens. What's my point? There is a difference between what you were raised to be and what you were born to be. There is a difference between what you were raised to be and what you were born to be. David was raised to be a shepherd, but he was born to be a king. Jesus was raised as a carpenter, and he was born to be the savior of the world. Gideon was raised as a coward, and he was born... To be a mighty warrior. What have you been raised to be? How are those experiences influencing your self-image? So many of us find ourselves as eagles pecking chicken food in the dirt. How do we get there though? How do we find ourselves in the dirt? How do we... How we got ourselves into a place where we were so alienated from God, so outside of his will, so separated from his identity, not even knowing who we were ever born to be. There's many reasons, but I want to just highlight four of them this morning. Number one is your parents. Your parents or your guardians, whether they were present or not, had one of the greatest influences on you as a child. In your childhood home, you, you find out who you are. You learn by, by your experiences and how, peop, how your parents relate to you. That's how you find your place. That's how you begin to, to form your identity. A child often discovers the kind of person they are and how they feel about themselves from their parents. And this should be a warning to, to us as parents too. But parents are people... And people are broken and broken people break people. So this is often an area where we need, to, we need to get to the root. We need to address some of the things that have happened to us in our lives as, as children and we need to forgive. We need to forgive our parents. They're fallible humans just like we are. But we allow those things to shape our image. They mold us into a certain way. Number two is our, our experiences. The things that happen in our life, whether they're in our control or out of our control, they have an effect on how we see ourselves. I'm someone who was in control of, of some of the experiences, some of the things that I did, and they shaped me. They shaped me a lot until I came to realize that this is not who I am. I believe like. I believed some of the things that I did, some of the choices that I made, some of the experiences that I had shaped me and said, I am this, I am that, until I realized that I am not. I am not those things just because I made some mistakes. This often happens in, re- in repeating patterns. We see this a lot. If you were young and, and you were in a scenario, in an experience where you felt rejection, The devil will jump on that one thing and he will begin to create scenarios where he can perpetuate that feeling. So that time and time again, you feel rejected to the point that you take that on as your identity. I'm I'm unlovable. I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. Everyone wants to distance themselves from me. Constantly, you will feel rejected. It's said that the The devil would rather hit one nail 10 times than hit 10 nails once. So he'll find a weakness, he'll find a spot, and throughout your life, he'll bring that one thing against you the whole time, so that you can take it on as your identity. The third thing is comparison. From when we're young, in school, we look around, comparing ourselves to the cool kids, We're seeing the girl who's getting all the guys. We're seeing the businessman who's driving the fancy car. We see the talented sportsman. And the musician. And we compare ourselves to them. Say, I'm not cool. I'm not, why am I not getting, I'm obviously not good enough that I'm not getting any of the girls. Why, this guy is obviously doing so much better than me that he can drive that car and I'm just riding my bicycle. We compare ourselves, and social media is making it so much worse. And we establish our identity on what we are not, based on what we see around us. We're saying, I, "I must be, there must be something wrong with me. I must be really useless. I must suck at this if I can't do this. We form our self-image based on the identity of others. Number four, and this is one of the biggest ones, our self talk. We speak so much negativity over ourselves. And oftentimes, this is spoken over us by parents, by siblings, by teachers, by friends, by partners. And we take on that thing and we begin to speak it over ourselves and we begin to agree with it. And the moment we do that, a stronghold is formed. We give the devil access and authority. To oppress us in that area. We allow him the access. We allow him the authority. You might say. I'm just a really fearful person. I'm too broken to be loved by anyone. I have an uncontrollable lust inside of me. That's just the way that God made me. Have you ever said that? You pass your failures off as. That's just the way God God made me. This is just the thorn in my flesh. It's my cross to bear. I have to fight through this. This is the way that God made me. That's a lie. Because you're doing that, because you're failing here, that doesn't mean that that's who you are. That's not your identity. The truth is our identity and our self-image are not the same thing. We cannot create our own identity. We can only find our identity in God. And Romans 5 verse eight, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Our identity is not in our sin and in our shortcomings. God came when we were still messy, when we were still broken. He comes to us right now in the middle of our mess and he says, I love you. He says, You are worthy. You are valuable. You are far too expensive to just discard. I want to come and I want to work on you. I don't care what you look like. I want to come and work on you because I love you. And that is our identity. When God comes like that, he gives us an opportunity to take on the reborn. Identity sounds like another movie in a series of movies. The reborn identity that should stop the two Corinthians five verse seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the reborn identity. it's an amazing scripture, one that we can quote to to empower a new believer. The old is gone and the new has come. But that new believer can think that that's magic. We can think that there's magic in those words. That all of a sudden things are going to change. And yes, some things do change. But that same person could walk out the door on Monday, goes into work and he swears at all his employees. Spends the whole night, Wednesday night, watching pornography. Friday night he goes gets wasted, wakes up on Saturday morning with a random woman in his bed. And he comes back on Sunday and he said, You said you said the old was gone and the new has come. Who, who's, who's that guy? Who's that guy I just spent the week with? Because the scripture is not referring to behavior change. It's referring to identity change. The old is dead. The old is dead. And the new has come. You have a brand new identity. Someone once said, how you behave does not determine who you are. Who you are determines how you behave. It's your identity that will change your behavior. Your behavior doesn't change your identity. So if you fail, if you sin, if you fall short, you're not a wicked sinner. You're not a fallen creature all of a sudden. If you are in Christ, you need to see yourself in Christ. Who you are will determine how you behave. Your behavior comes out of your identity. Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. Who lives in me? The old you has died. Stop trying to breathe life into him. We're going back and giving the old man CPR, trying to get him to stand up again. Just leave him to be dead. Walk away from the old man. You are a new creation. You identify as a new creation. In your reborn identity, your sins are forgiven. And you have eternal life. You've got forgiveness and eternal life. And more than that, you've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, you might still struggle with darkness, but that's a process of of sanctification that all of us as as Christians go through. We have to wrestle with that. But the, the point is, you've been repositioned. You're no longer living darkness and dabble in the light. You live in light, and you might dabble in the darkness. But the only reason you find yourself here in the darkness is because of the lies of the enemy. He's the only one putting you back there. You have a new identity. You have re- been reborn. You are a new creation. You live in the kingdom of light. You are a citizen of heaven. Stop resuscitating the old man. Stop bringing him back to life. So how do we begin to actually come to grips with the real you, this new you? We need to start by learning what the Creator has to say about us and start speaking it over our lives. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, three times he said, It is written, it is written, it is written. Jesus was the Word made flesh, yet still he quoted Scripture. He knew the power of the truth to defeat a lie. So you need to identify those strongholds built on top of lies. And we need to confront them with the power of the Spirit and replace those lies with the Word of God. Then we need to guard the truth. Because the devil is going to say, what you did here on Sunday means nothing. What were you doing on Saturday? That's who you are. That guy was trying to tell you on Sunday who you, who, who you are in Christ. You are not. You're a sinner. You're filthy. Look what you did last month. Look what you're doing right now. You might find yourself on Monday morning with the lies attacking you, saying, look at you. This is who you are. You're not reborn. There's nothing special about you. You're not valuable. You're worth nothing. We need to guard the truth, and in that we need to renew our minds constantly. Constantly be renewing our minds. The devil is going to come after you. Romans 12 verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to stop looking in the mirror that reflects our self-image and start looking ourselves through the mirror of the word of God. We need to stand in front of the mirror and reflect the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just by the spirit of the Lord. Amen. So I want to empower us. This morning, I want to put tools in your hands. So, do not you stand with me? We are going to make some declarations this morning of who we are in Christ, uh, and I want you to 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 use these, to take these, and to and to make them your own, and to use them to assault the lies of the enemy in your life. On our U Version Bible app, if if you're not aware, we have we have scriptures and and, and notes on there. You can. Um, just hit the QR code in the back of the chairs, or uh, we'll go to our link tree, and you'll find the Sunday notes. So all of these um, declarations are written out for you there with the supporting scriptures. Um, but we're going to go to them, and we're going to go through through them. Uh, you can you can go to thanks, Tinas. I'm going to read a couple of the a couple of the scriptures. So I had 50 of these declarations, so you can be thankful I don't have 50 on here, but I do have 20. It Was hard to whittle them all down. Um, but I'm going to go through them. So I want us to, to speak them. I want us to repeat them. Um, and then I will, I will give some of the supporting scriptures and we'll, we'll see how we go. Okay. So number one, I am loved. Number two, I am saved. Number three, I am chosen. Number four, I am forgiven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Number five, I am redeemed. Number six, I am blessed. Number seven, I am holy, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Number eight, I am victorious. Number nine, I am God's temple. Number ten, I am a child of God. Number eleven, I am a new creation. Number twelve, I am free from sin. Number 13, I am not condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Number 14, I am no longer a slave. Number 15, I am more than a conqueror. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Number 16, I am not alone. Number 17, I am joyful. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Number 18, I am hopeful. Number 19, I am wonderfully made. Number 20, I am a masterpiece. Amen. Amen. Okay, come on, let's do it again. Let's do it again one more time. Let's go back to number one. Let's fly through these things. We need to get the word of God into us and coming out of our mouths. Okay, number one. I am loved. Two, I am saved. Three, I am chosen. Four, I am forgiven. Five, I am redeemed. Six, I am blessed. Seven, I am holy. Eight, I am victorious. Nine, I am God's temple. Ten, I am a child of God. Eleven, I am a new creation. Twelve, I am free from sin. Thirteen, I am not condemned. Fourteen, I am no longer a slave. Fifteen, I am more than a conqueror. Sixteen, I am not alone. Seventeen, I am joyful. Eighteen, I am hopeful. Nineteen, I am wonderfully made. Twenty, I am a masterpiece. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.chevronline.tv to download and share.